Welcome to the Acres of Diamonds podcast with Bob Larson, a nationally recognized expert in the analysis of complex life insurance structures. In the Acres of Diamonds podcast, Bob talks about the flip side of owning a life insurance policy that your client has outgrown or that has underperformed. We share insight and strategies to help advisors maximize the effectiveness and value of their clients' life insurance policies. Hello and welcome to the Acres of Diamonds podcast with Bob Larson from The Settlement Masters. Hello, Bob. How are you today? I'm great. I'm looking forward to this conversation. Fantastic. Me too. But before we get into that conversation, uh, for all you advisors out there that are listening, I am going to be recapping kind of what Bob has been talking about the last few podcasts. I encourage you highly to go back and find those podcasts, listen to them. You can subscribe to them and, and get all of Bob's updates from this point on. But let's go back a little bit and, and talk about what he's spoken about before. Bob has explained in previous podcasts why there's a new problem that exists in the senior planning market that requires advisors to be aware of and address at some level. Bob's told the audience, he's told all of you guys, that life insurance purchased between 1995 and 2008 were approximately 65% of the senior life insurance policies have become defective and many policies are lapsing or they are requiring substantially more premium to keep the policy active. It's been reported that about $143 billion Dollars, that's billion with a B, of face amount will lapse or get cashed in by seniors in 2018 and for the next 11 years. So this begs the question, and Bob, this question's for you, by the way. What should an advisor do to get active in this market and help wealthy seniors that have that problem? Well, Eric, it is a problem. And as you pointed out, between 95 and 2008, a bulk of the seniors that have life insurance, a bulk of their policies are in damaged. They have uh, raised the cost of insurance and it is destroying life insurance and they don't even know it. I mean, it's, uh, it's incredible that this is happening, but uh, it is happening and it's uh, a damaging thing. Uh, advisors need to be aware of this. They need to jack it up to make it a priority because it's a priority to talk to the people that they work with and the people that have parents and grandparents that are in that category and ask them if they have life insurance. Uh, because if they have life insurance and they're in the age group of 80 plus, maybe even 75 plus, there's a high probability, and I mean over 50%, that these contracts have been affected by this change in the industry that's unprecedented. I mean, it is unprecedented that life insurance companies would raise the cost of insurance inside of a policy, which would eat up the cash value that they normally would have been growing in the policy. Mm -hmm. uh, the costs and expenses are, are eating it up. Now, advisors uh, are not a, uh, the ones that I have met, and I've met them all over the country, and I've spoke at meetings all over the country on the subject. But most of them are either unaware, uneducated, or they don't know how to partner uh, with a firm to do this in the way in which they feel comfortable. Because most professional advisors that are fiduciaries, that are responsible professionals, they really want to know what they're doing. They want to know what to say. They want to know what they're doing. And there's no place they can go outside of just general uh, having experience, which mm -hmm. could be the, uh, you know at the price of clients, uh, to become active in this in this incredibly uh, big market. So 
I'm passionate about because I don't like to see people that are in their 70s and 80s uh, get injured when it's not necessary, mm-hmm. Eric. So what they need to do is the advisors are not aware or they're not educated or they don't know how to partner or who to partner with. Bob, anybody who's listened to these past few podcasts, they have to realize that this is the right thing to do. Any advisor that's heard these, they know it's the right thing to do. And it also seems like a really good opportunity for the advisors, right? Well, absolutely. It's an incredible opportunity uh, for uh, advisors. I, I, you know, I just, uh, I know that advisors that are, that are responsible and professionally plant trained to do planning, they care about most of them that I've met care about the client mm-hmm. and try to do added value things, excess things that would give the client the feeling that they really care. This is something that those that have life insurance need. This needs to be addressed, Eric. It's not something that is like selling insurance or it's not like anything that they might do in asset allocation or, or uh, retirement planning. This is some of these people had large cash values that have been eaten up by the cost of insurance increase. Uh, and, and it's just unconscionable that, that this would have happened. So yes, the answer is yes. I, it's a phenomenal opportunity. Bob, I work with advisors all over the country in different capacities and, and a good advisor team or a good team for someone who has a financial team around them consists of a CPA, usually a state planning attorney, a regular attorney, or an insurance agent around them. Why aren't all of these folks dealing with this situation or addressing this problem? Well, I'll give you two of the ones I just gave you a lack of awareness. They don't, they're not aware of this problem. They're either not working with people in the, in the 70 to 80 to 90 year old categories, but they're working with the kids and the grandkids Mm -hmm. of those people. And typically they, the kids and the grandkids are the beneficiaries of the parents uh, and grandparents work and the life's work. So they should be, uh, they should be bringing this information to them saying we should have a professional audit of the life insurance contracts because of what's going on. So awareness is a big thing. Education, uh, professional advisors want to know that they know when they're doing something. They don't want to be winging it, so Mm -hmm. to speak. Mm -hmm. They want to be well-planned. They want to have a complete picture of the good, bad, and the ugly of everything that they're doing. Uh, There isn't any place that they can go to to get this education without enormous amounts of research and some false starts. And that's, that oftentimes can be very price, you know, pricey and can be at the expense of clients, but they need to be educated. Some of them uh, don't feel responsible for this because it's called insurance and they're not in the insurance business. They Mm -hmm. may be uh, with a large uh, warehouse and they're, they're into financial planning, asset management, and they don't feel responsible. They're not looking at a life insurance portfolio as an asset class. There, there, there are many of them, and some of them do, but most of them on a day-to-day basis, when you mention life insurance, they think of annuities. They don't think of life insurance. So many of them don't feel responsible for that. That's the insurance guy's or gal's gotcha. uh, responsibility. But you know what? The people that sold the life insurance back in the the late uh, 90s and the early uh, 2000s, many of them are gone. 
they're not in the business anymore. They've retired, they've left, uh, they've died. I mean, there's mm -hmm. lots of reasons that these people are not getting the attention. And the advisory community, many of them in the legal and accounting community, they don't feel responsible for this. Sometimes I get very controlled upset, I'll put it that way, mm -hmm. with, with, with a professional in the accounting or the legal community when they tell me that's not my responsibility. That's an insurance man. He's the, or she's the person that should be taking care of this. And I say, well, are you a fiduciary or a trustee for any irrevocable life insurance trust? And he says, well, some of them say, well, yes, I am. I said, well, your responsibility as a trustee is to make sure that the asset, life insurance asset that's in this trust is safe. Absolutely. And because so many of them are not, 65% of those seniors that have life insurance have been affected by this, and, and they don't know it. They're underpaying because of the cost increase, and for them to catch up and keep the policy alive, it may sometimes cost three to five times more than they've been used to being pay, uh, paying to the insurance company. So many of them don't feel responsible. I get in there and I tell them, please, for the sake of the the the, the, the client, uh, ask them uh, to take the time to meet with a, a company that you believe in, that you feel comfortable with, to have the contract audited and mm -hmm. so that you know that it's safe. Or they don't know how to bring the subject up. Yeah. A lot of times the, the word insurance scares, scares the, 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 excuse the expression, the, the hell out of people yeah. because they, they're afraid they're going to sound like they're trying to sell something. Uh, that's not the issue. They're trying to protect an asset value, an asset quality. Life insurance is an asset class and it needs to be protected. Or they may have a misunderstanding of settlements. Back in the 2000s, there was something called STOLI where people were selling life insurance to sell life, to sell the contracts into the settlement market. It was the wrong thing to do. And many of them have a, a tainted misunderstanding of the settlement mm -hmm. business. Uh, they they don't know a professional that does a highly compliant process. So the misunderstanding keeps them from talking about it. Like you said, Bob, there are, there are those out there that just don't have this on their radar. They're just not aware of it. And so we'll put those folks to the side. It's not exactly their fault. We want to raise awareness. We want to, we want to show them what this, what's going on. But for those advisors that do know about this situation and do know what's going on in this market, why aren't they seeking out that outside help to address the market? Now, you know, Eric, it's, it's really uh, the four-letter word that I just can't, uh, I, I don't accept, I mean, with myself and others, fear is a very unprofitable, un, it's not a good thing to do and, and to have and to feel, and we've all felt fear. Mm -hmm. But these, most of the advisors, are they have a fear of who to talk to. They, they, don't, they don't know how to bring the subject up. Uh, they have a fear of being misrepresented when they go out. If they go out to the broker world, they, they fear that the broker takes control or the broker may do something. They don't, they don't have a comfort level. They, they have a fear of losing the client to someone else if they bring somebody else in to help them to, to partner with. Because every advisor needs to have a licensed, qualified broker to enter into the funding marketplace. And they have a fear of losing the client to someone else. Mm -hmm. uh, or they've had bad information given to them about the, about the insurance industry settlements. They just don't 
like anything that's got bad news attached to it, where there's smoke, there's fire type of yeah. thing. And that goes back to the Stoli market many years ago. And that's been pretty much cleaned up today for people in the life insurance industry. They're uncertain about how they can run their business and develop the settlement solution for clients because it's an added, what they look at it as an added responsibility they don't quite understand. They just don't know that they're not exposed to the right partnering mm -hmm. that can help them enter that marketplace and, and jump over 10 years of, of experience. Well, so that's really, really the answer. Yeah, a lot of people on this podcast, a lot of people listening to this podcast think there's a different four-letter F word that's the worst one, but I agree with you. Fear <laughs> is the one that's holding people back. It really is. Yes. And it's, it's yeah. holding these yeah. advisors yeah. back from doing the right thing and doing it well uh, with the right partner. Uh, speaking of the right partner, uh, we know that you have a, a tremendous service, but if they're finding somebody else, so what, what would be the risk of an advisor just going out and finding a broker that, that says they do life settlements? Well, there's a lot of good people in the settlement brokerage business. Don't get what I'm going to say wrong. There's a lot of very good people. Most of them do not have any life insurance experience. They entered the broker business from a venture capital world or from a mortgage world. And they, they see that it's an opportunity to make money and they get involved. And, and historically, there's been a major lack of transparency from the broker to the advisor when they're working with the advisor's client. Uh, in other words, the broker doesn't tell them many times uh, about how much money they're really getting from the buying marketplace. They, they don't tell them how much commission, how much uh, profit that they're taking from a case, many of them, mm -hmm. not, not all of them, but many of them, that's becoming less and less. But transparency is a really big issue for the client, for the advisor, uh, because you can't, it's like the more, like the real estate industry, complete uh, transparency keeps people out of trouble. And so it, it's still, there's still some of that that exists. Uh, not knowing uh, what fund is buying the policy for the client. That's rarely mm. transparent. I don't like that because uh, what I found when I early on got involved in this industry, uh, I found that they were, some of the, some of the brokers were selling to pockets of money that were represented by a small group of investors. I don't want policies owned by a small group of investors. I don't want people to own my mother's policy that have a greater incentive of her dying than living. Mm -hmm. I don't want that. And so knowing the, knowing the fund that buys your clients, your clients policy is imperative. And, and so that's something that they're afraid of. It's, it's, uh, it's in fact, it's a justifiable concern. Mm -hmm. Liability for the advisor, the advisor that enters this business, Eric, doesn't know what to say. Oftentimes, even though you shouldn't sell the idea of settlements because it should be an analytic comparison of keeping policies versus selling their policy. Mm -hmm. It's an economic. You're dealing with an asset class life insurance. And so the economics are what would the family gain by keeping it versus selling it. And the, the advisor doesn't typically know that. There's tremendous liability and misunderstandings when the client does not understand the things that are going on. There is that liability that is taken on 100% by the advisor. Mm -hmm. And the advisor, the broker is kind of shielded because he doesn't talk to the client. He deals directly with the, with the advisor. So what happens is the advisor says things that he understands, but oftentimes says the wrong thing. 
a lack of reporting from the from the broker. The broker will take the case on in most cases, and uh, it may take months. And the and the and the advisor doesn't really know what's going on unless he calls and asks. Training is a big issue. There is no training uh, in the industry, with one exception, and I'll tell you about that. But there is no training in the industry to train high-end advisors how advanced compliance settlements work. And so they enter the they enter the business. They hear there's a lot of money in it. They go sell the idea to a client on selling their policy. Well, you don't want to do that because if the client dies and people that were the beneficiaries of that policy find out that it was sold, they can accuse the advisor of mm. coercing their mom or dad into selling it. And they didn't let them know all the things they could do to keep that policy. So there's a lot of liability, a lot of minefields that the advisor can get involved in uh, by just jumping in and working with a, a broker. Some of the brokers are great. I, I know many of them. I was in Washington, D.C. here recently and had dinner with one of the primary brokers, and they're good people. They're nice people. They just don't have life insurance experience outside of settlements. Mm. And their experience is sell the policy. That's their experience. And that's not always the right thing for the client. Bob, as you're going through these these risks and, and concerns, I mean, again, it kind of goes, harkens back to the fear that you were talking about earlier and kind of reminds me of, of the black market, right? When you're going shopping, it's a very scary place and it's it's unknown. And, and this kind of situation kind of sounds like this could be like a dark market if advisors don't know what they're doing, uh, where an advisor could definitely get into some trouble. So that kind of puts them in a position where they don't want to do it or don't want to investigate it, and a senior client really loses because of those issues. What is a good solution for the advisors out there listening to this? Well, the advisors that can step beyond their fear or their, their, their feeling that they have nobody to talk to, and they really want to add this on because they feel a fiduciary responsibility to clients that have a life insurance portfolio. The first thing I would do, and, and most people, millenniums certainly do this, but I would Google settlements to find mm -hmm. a reputable firm that's well known by the financial advisory community, the legal community, the accounting community. And, and knowing, knowing that they're known by this body of financial professionals will give you a sense that these people, the broker, is a reputable, client-caring kind of broker. Whether or not they do the kind of things to minimize liability uh, that's another another issue. Mm -hmm. But a, a good broker will be transparent. A good broker will communicate. A good broker will do everything to sell the contract, uh, but they won't do uh, anything to, to keep you from being highly li uh, liable in a transaction. They don't do that. But Google settlements to find settlement brokers and talk to some of them, interview several of them. Find one that you that you like, that you connect with. The advisor that is right for you is someone that is client first. And and most of them aren't, uh, mm -hmm. frankly. They are money first. You know, they, they want to sell the contract. Well, selling that contract is a solution. It's not the cure-all. It may be the wrong thing to do. So you don't, you know, you don't want an advisor that's just pushing people that, that are having a little blip in their life insurance portfolio to sell it. You should sell it. You can get a lot of money for mm -hmm. it. That's not what you do yeah. as a professional in this world. So those are my thoughts. 
Bob, you've got a, a ton of experience. You and I have spoken many, many times. And I know you've been in the life insurance business for over 50 years at many different levels, corporately and in the field for over 30. What have you done to resolve these issues that we've discussed here and that you've kind of brought to light to solve the problem for you and your firm? Because I know you've had to had to go through this stuff. Yes, Eric. Uh, th- this really started about four years before I officially kind of entered the business. Uh, I'll, I'll just give you a quickly an excerpt of this. I was observing what was going on. I heard a lot about it. Once in a while, I'd hear somebody say, gee, I just sold this policy and I got 900000 for the client or I got 900000 for the policy and I made $450,000. And I thought, are you kidding me? You took 50% of the sale price and you didn't tell the client? You know, there was a lot of that stuff going on back then. And mm-hmm. I just, uh, oh my God, that just, that really, really made me feel like it was not someplace I wanted to be. But over the over the years, I, you know, gathered information from time to time. I had a very robust practice and, and uh, issuing life insurance. And it was uh, about 2006, KPMG, the large accounting firm, called me. I'd done some work for them. And they called me and said that they had a client that was selling a business uh, and uh, for $18 million. And they he had a $30 million key man policy. And he wanted to cash it in. It had a $238,000 cash value. And he just wanted it uh, to cash in. And so they said, would you review it to make sure that's the right thing for him to do? And I said, well, I absolutely will do that. So I dug in and I began to review the contract, determining all the things he could do to keep it, reduce the face, uh, short pay it, uh, you know, defer some of the costs to later, uh, all the things that he did. I made this great presentation to him uh, about that. And he says, read my lips. I don't want this policy. I don't want to keep it. I am going to cash it in. And I said, well, give me one more phase of research. And that is, I want to look at what the market is that buys these contracts. Mm-hmm. And he, of course, said, what's that? And I said, well, it's a it's a very large, robust market that's been around for 15 years. And it's uh, there may be a corporation that would buy the contract at premium, meaning that more than $238,000 would be given to you. Long story short, over a period of seven, I think seven different bids, uh, I ended up First of all, I got into the business. I dealt directly with the funds at that time, and I worked the value of that contract up to six million dollars. And of course, I was astounded that a policy that, from a from equity standpoint, was worth two thirty-eight. I got six million dollars, and so we were paid, uh, I think, uh, one hundred and seventy-five thousand for the transaction, mm-hmm. which was way under what the market allows. But I didn't know the business much at that time, and I wanted the client to be the big winner. Well, when we told them $6 million, uh, believe me, KPMG was a hero. They brought us in, and the client was ecstatic. He got a third of the price of the company he was selling just with his life insurance. Wow. And then in 2008, because of that experience, I had advisors that were asking me, uh, professionals, accountants, and, and trust companies and attorneys that I worked with, asking me to evaluate contracts. And I decided to formally form Settlement Masters. And so in 2008, I formed an LLC and started working with the professional community. Uh, and I continued to do that about the late latter part of 2015. 
And we had done so well, and we had so many law firms, accounting firms, especially state planning law firms, uh, business brokers, uh, CPAs that work with high-end clients uh, that were bringing us contracts to audit. This was even before the COI debacle, mm. way before. Contracts were still having problems. So I decided at that point to because I had a lot of buddies in the business on the East Coast that were asking me to help them. And so we began to open up our advisory service for financial advisors, early, early, early part of 2016. At that point, I had developed a compliance process that works quickly and simultaneously with the evaluation of how people can keep their contract. And I won't go into all the things that we do, but it's an academic mathematic formula in terms of comparing the asset value for the family, life insurance versus a settlement. And when you get everybody to sign off that one or the other is the best thing for the family, you begin to develop your compliance report. Then we developed a complete report that everything was signed by the family members, the trustee, the beneficiaries, all the parties that were affected by the life insurance trust if that was if it was a trust or a corporate policy mm -hmm. that was owned, we had everybody sign off. We bound these 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 reports, and we would give them to the client, to the trustee, to uh, sometimes the beneficiaries, and to the advisor. The business took off from that time. I mean, it became a unique way of giving the advisor comfort. We also developed a, uh, a non-compete with the advisors, so they knew that their client was their client. Mm -hmm. And the reason I did that, because early on in my experience, I had a broker and a provider that went around me and back right to the, directly to the client, said you could make more without Bob. And I don't like that. Yeah. I mean, that's not <laughs> cards, that's not being integrous. So we developed an NDA so that there's a clear picture that we would never do that with the clients, uh, with an advisor's clients. Uh, then in 2018, and then early on this year, an interesting thing happened. We did a work for the second largest trust company in America, one of their largest clients, and they brought this client to us. They needed the life insurance liquidity, but they couldn't afford it. They had short paid it. And when you short pay a policy, there's going to come a day of reckoning. Mm -hmm. And when that day of reckoning comes, the premium goes to five sometimes more, five times what they were paying. Wow. And this premium went to 500000 a year for a $5 million policy. And it just blew their budget out the window. And they just said, we, we can't keep it. So I showed them all the ways they can keep it. They said, we can't keep it. I said, you need it. And so the advisor that brought us uh, into this trust company said, uh, you know, go ahead and, and sell it. I said, before we sell it, we're going to have everybody sign off on what they could do to keep it. And then I'm going to at the same time find if the market will buy the contract and collaterally sign back a good portion of the death benefit. So they'll still have death benefit, but they don't have to pay for it. Hmm. So the buyer that I found was able to collaterally sign back $2.7 million of the $5 million death benefit. They didn't have to pay a penny for it. Wow. Uh, and they were very happy. When the guy dies, and uh, he dies in about eight months. And a grandson that had been disinherited but still was a beneficiary to the islet came in and uh, filed a lawsuit against the trust company, against everybody, and was going to include us. And, and I said, well, would you review our compliance report that we completed in this process? And so all the law firms, they took a week 
They had three law firms going through this thing. And if you've ever worked with litigators, they're mm. looking for everything. Mm -hmm. They look for everything. And when they got done, they advised the grandson to go away. And they dropped the lawsuit <laughs> off everybody. Yeah. So it was a big win, and it was also a big credential for us. So you know what? The compliant process that we have it will continue to uh, get better and better, and it's it's something that we're real proud of. Yeah, it stood up to the test. That's great. You don't want it to be tested, but it was, and it passed. So that's great. Uh, Bob, and, I, and that brings us to my next question. You've done this for quite a while. You've had to pivot and figure things out on your own and get a big team around you. And you've, you've done great with that. So now putting all those pieces together, what does an advisor get that comes to you and says, Bob, I want to work with you guys. What, what do you have to offer? Well, the, you know, I'm now going to commercialize our company, but I'm going to do it proudly. If you can find somebody that does this and you like them, do, do business with them. This is a, this is a unique thing in the industry. And I know most of the brokers in the industry and I know, Many of the providers that go direct to agents and give them all the liability, uh, agents and advisors, and, and really do not fairly pay them. Uh, so what we have done, number one, is we have high-level online training for anybody that's not been around the industry to kind of give them how to partner with us and how to understand the settlement industry as a professional process. I'm going to just give you a litany of items, mm -hmm. not necessarily in their in proper order. But uh, so that's one thing we do. We highly train our people how to partner and what to say to cue us up and how to deal uh, with us in the professional markets. In other words, with if they're dealing with an attorney, how to use us as part of their team to sell that attorney on bringing cases to them. We have access to the funds market that pay high prices, and that's that you'll hear from every broker in the marketplace. We com we complete partnerships on a case-by-case -case basis, meaning that we become partners of the advisor. We take all the work off of his plate. We take all the contact with the client. He can write shotgun or she can write shotgun with us. We take all that work so that nothing is said wrong, so that the, the contract, the, the escrow contracts are pre-read and make sure that they're client-friendly. We do all of that, and we give ENO to the advisor on case by case that follows our process. So that's mostly pretty much unique. There are some that will do that, but ours is we give a Lloyd's of London certificate. That's another story because Lloyd's turned us down in the very very beginning until I sent the compliance report in. Mm -hmm. When they read that, they said, "Wow, you guys, there's nobody like you in the business. We are the only." company that Lloyd's insures for ENO because of that reason. So we give ENO on every case from Lloyd's of London. We give a certificate from Lloyd's on every mm -hmm. case so that the agent knows on that case, I've got ENO. We have a client care system that protects the client first and the advisor oh, by nice. full transparency. Uh, transparency is really, really important. And you got to know mm -hmm. what that word means when it comes to settlements. And we, we teach that in our online training. We have a timeline on every case, Eric, meaning that the the broker knows when it goes in, if it's a case within 24 to 48 hours, if it's a case, because we got thousands of, of life expectancy studies. And so we know if it's a case, if it's not a case, we tell them, we don't jack them around and, and lead him on mm -hmm. and go through a lot of steps. We tell them uh, this isn't the case and here's why. 
So we put a timeline on. When it's a case, we create a timeline. And every week, the client, the advisor gets an email updating them on exactly where we are in the timeline. So that they know from the beginning nice. to the end to the time, if the client is, if this is a go, when they get their commissions, when the client gets their money, the money's directly uh, wired directly from the fund to the client. I mean, we do things really, really well in terms of communication. Mm -hmm. We have a prospecting online system for advisors that an advisor can implement. I mean, nobody does that. Yeah. We help them with prospecting, Eric, so that they can find uh, advisors, professional people uh, in their community to uh, understand uh, the opportunity, the fiduciary responsibility. We do that. Nobody does that. Yeah, I, I love going going back to what you said just a minute ago with they bring a case to you and you can tell them, you know, this isn't a case and here's why. That's shaping, right? I mean, you're, you're, you're teaching them what was wrong with this one, so they're going to be better at identifying the next one. So that's great. Absolutely. Absolutely. One thing we do is, and you're doing it right now, we have a professional team, and you're part of that, Eric, that does a podcast recording and interviewing on different subjects relative to this. We make those podcasts available nice. for the for the advisor so he can listen to it. He can become enveloped in the information. And he, in some cases, some of these are just really good to send out to the, the prospect. Mm -hmm. uh, on cases that we complete, we protect the client and advisor by completing a proprietary compliance report. Mm -hmm. And we give it to the advisor and the owner of the policy like we talked about. And that owner, that, that compliance report's been tested, as I pointed out. So we do a lot of things that no, that I, I'm not going to be so stupid to say nobody, but I'm going to say all of the brokers that I have met and talked to, they don't even understand what I just went through. Mm -hmm. They don't have the time. They don't have the staff. Uh, they're not willing to, to do that and not willing to take the liability to do it. Uh, we do it, and we do it because we know what we're doing, and we've got 50 years of experience in the life insurance industry. Bob, this I mean, this comes out as kind of the complete package. You've thought of everything because you've, you've lived this for so long and worked with this system for so long uh, to produce what this company has become, and that's just full support and full service. What would you like to tell the advisors that are listening to this podcast in closing? Well, I'd say make a decision. You know, Make a decision to arm yourself with information and pick a system that protects your clients and you pick a broker that you can partner with. Don't, you know, my, my suggestion is don't try to do this all yourself. You'll, I can't tell you the problems that you can get into. Do it with a broker that will help you that has client centered first. Uh, that's the first thing. And then don't mm -hmm. put it off. This industry is moving really rapidly right now and largely due to the COI cost increase that's killing these policies. Mm -hmm. Somebody's going to be talking to your client if you don't. I mean, it's it's really easy uh, to partner with the right firm, get involved. They'll show you how to set up the business, how to ramp it up, how to queue them up, and we do all of that, and we'd be happy to talk to you about that. Our number is 877-927-7243. Get a pencil, because I'm going to give this to you one more time, only once. I know a lot of times on the phone, they give it to you 19 times. I'm going to give it to you once. Get a pencil. Here we go. 877-927-7243. Don't put it off. Uh, the, the poem I always leave with because it's so important to me when I was young and new in the business, 
my mentor told me, on the plains of hesitation, Bob, bleak the bones of countless millions that on the dawn of victory, they sat there and there they died. They did nothing and they died. They didn't get started. Clients started getting eaten up by other people. And that was a shame. Call us, 877-927-7243. Thank you, Eric. You're welcome, Bob. And every advisor out there, if you have to re-listen to this podcast, re-listen to it. Write that list down of the things that Bob and his team provide. Take that. Compare that to any other company that you find on Google, like Bob told you. If you find a better company, go with it. My guess is you're going to be coming right back to Settlement Masters and giving Bob and his team a call. So please do that. But more than that, Thank you for listening to today's Acre of Diamonds podcast with Bob Larson. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Bob comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. This will make it much easier to share these with your friends, family, colleagues, and your clients if you want to. Thanks again for listening. For everyone at the Settlement Masters, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Acres of Diamonds podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Thank you.